Well, hey, before I jump in, uh, I just want to acknowledge those who are in our presence today who are veterans. Uh, we just want to thank you for your service, um, and just we honor you today. I know many of you in this room have served in the past, or maybe you know somebody that is serving currently, and we are so grateful. We were talking about freedom, and uh, it's because of your service and your sacrifice that we have those freedoms today. So we're grateful for you, um, and uh, yeah, didn't run. I, uh, I grew up in a pretty blue-collar family, uh, blue-collar values. We were from the Midwest. We were casual, down-to-earth kind of family. Fancy wasn't really our MO. We, we were pretty just, you know, casual, easygoing for the most part, down-to-earth. So it should be no surprise that when I was invited to golf at one of the premier golf courses where I grew up, I was unprepared. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine had received an invitation for a foursome, and they were missing one other person to fill the foursome, so he invited me, and I was playing a lot of golf at the time. I was in college. I had a lot of spare time uh, in the summer times, and so I decided, hey, I'm a pretty good player, and I would love to go and play this premier course. I wouldn't otherwise get a chance to play this course. It was private. It was a country club, etc. And so uh, one of the things, though, that this premier course had that my local municipal course did not have was a dress code. And I was like a 19-year-old college kid, and so I had no idea what that meant. They require collared shirts and khaki you know, slacks or shorts. You had to be wearing them. Nobody told me about this. And so I showed up to this beautiful clubhouse, and you know, I drove up, and a guy ran out, and he got my club, and they had never done that for me before. But he gave me this weird look, and I was like, all right, whatever, you know, same, whatever, don't care. So I went inside. People just kept kind of looking at me weird. And then when I got up to the check-in counter where there was a gentleman to check us in for the tea time, he looked me straight in the eye and he's like, you cannot play in that. And I was just wearing a t-shirt, you know. I mean, I just, you know, came like I would normally go. I was like, what do you mean I can't play like this? He's like, you have to have a collared shirt or, you know, nice shorts. Now, I had the nice shorts, fortunately, but I didn't have a collared shirt. And so uh, I said, well, what do you want me to do? Can't you make an exception? I just drove 30 miles to come and play. He's like, no, you cannot step on the golf course without a collared shirt. I'm like, come on, man, there's got to be something. And he's like, you know what? Just hang here for a second. So he went in his office area, he came back, and he handed me what to this day is the ugliest shirt I have ever seen in my life. It was like purple with green horizontal stripes. I'm a 19-year-old college student growing up in the late 90s. I'm like, you want me to wear that? He's like, you either wear this or you don't play. And so uh, I put it on. It wasn't my style, but I was out of options and I wanted to play. So uh, I put it on. And I'm just telling you right now, I got to the first tee box and that foursome that I was with just started laughing. I did not belong in this place. I was way out of place. Now, it should be noted that I beat all of them that day. <laughs> Handedly, right? Uh, I, feel, I kind of felt like that shirt had some power that I was missing out on. But I did have to give it back, right? And, you know, the reality was it was not very much fun 
being invited to something where I immediately felt like I did not belong. Have you ever had that experience before where you showed up somewhere and you're like, oh no, I do not belong here. And you faked it till you made it, right? And you tried to figure it out, but it just wasn't very much fun. I wasn't invited to that place as I was. That was not a come-as-you-are kind of environment. I was expected to be something I wasn't prepared for. I may have won that day, but I never played there again, okay? I couldn't afford to play there again. Now, today, we're, we're going to look at a passage that I think paints a picture of a different kind of invitation. It's an invitation in the Bible that is a genuine come-as-you-are invitation, an invitation that doesn't require you to wear a collared short shirt or have some sort of cleaned-up look, but to simply come as you are. So with that in mind, grab your version or your phone, you open up the version app, you can follow along with everything I'm going to cover today. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Now, last week, we looked at the first 16 verses in the book of Acts. And in it, we are introduced to a man named Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion. He is a Roman officer who oversees a hundred troops in his command. Cornelius is described in the scriptures as this devout, God-fearing, generous man. He, at some point in his life, he has converted to Judaism, which wasn't unnatural in the first century world. Judaism was very attractive to those who were growing up in a Roman empire dominated by a pluralistic society, which means there were all sorts of gods that you could go to and worship and sacrifice to, and all of them were demanding something of you. But the Jewish God was different, and so it wasn't uncommon for those living in the first century, even Gentiles, non-Jews, to convert to Judaism. We find out uh, Cornelius is one of those people. And during one of his times of prayer, Jews typically prayed around 9 a.m., noon, and then again at three throughout the day. It was this, this ritual that they had experiencing God in prayer. Around the, this time of 3 p.m. when Cornelius was praying, an angel appears to him and tells him, go send some men to a town called Joppa and find a man named Simon Peter, the apostle Peter. Now, meanwhile, Peter has been spending time in Joppa, in a city straight west of Jerusalem on the shores of the Mediterranean. It's also straight south of Caesarea. And during his time spent there, as we saw last week, he performed the miracle of raising a woman named Doricus, a beloved leader in the church community in Joppa. And in addition, while he was praying one day at the nude hour, God gives him a vision, very specific vision. The vision is of the sheet that fills the sky, and on the sheet are all of these animals and reptiles and birds, some of them which would have been considered unclean by Jewish law. In other words, they were prohibited from eating or even touching those sorts of animals. In Leviticus 11, God gives the Jews dietary laws. He says, listen, I want you to be a people that's separate from all of the rest, called out to exhibit my holiness in this world. And one of the ways that I want you to be separated from the rest of the world is to be prohibited from eating and touching certain 
animals, and foods. And there's this long list of things. They're even told, like, if you eat this, you will die. That's how strict God is about wanting them to be seen as this nation called out by God and for God. The vision that Peter receives, though, is a vision where God is saying, remember that law in Leviticus 11? Yeah, because of Jesus, it no longer applies. I want you to go, he says, kill and eat all of these kinds of animals to, to, to repeal the law of Leviticus 11. God is saying to Peter, something new has happened. And what was once considered unclean has now been made clean through Jesus. Now, Peter, I mean, Peter is known for boldness all throughout the New Testament in the, you know, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. I mean, he, he's not afraid to share what's on his mind. And so God gives him this vision, and he's like, no, no way, not going to do I have never eaten that sort of animal. I'm not going to start now. But God isn't budging on this. He's doing something new, and he is, he is showing this to Peter because he has a vision for something that is attached to this whole food thing, but really is bigger and broader than even that. Because the vision ultimately wasn't really about food at all. It's this, this new way of living and loving that Jesus is calling his first followers to. And so because of Peter's, you know, he, he just does not budging on the thing, God decides, well, I'm going to have to just keep showing this to you. And the text says God shows it to him three times. And he's still kind of like, I don't get it. Like, what are you trying to tell me? I mean, God's mission, right? Jesus says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. God's mission is to go to the ends of the earth, to reach people, regardless of who they are, all the way to the ends of the earth, far beyond the confines of the Jewish people. And this vision that God is giving Peter is inviting Peter to do just that, which is where we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 10, verse 17. Peter was very perplexed. He's seen now this vision three or four times, and he's asking, what could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Remember, Cornelius has sent men to go find Peter. And standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Go, get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So, so Peter is reeling from this vision he's just received. He's just trying to figure out, what, what does all of this mean? Trying to sort out what God wants to do in and through this. When the men that Cornelius are sent come to the place where he's saying, and these men have traveled from Caesarea to Joppa, a distance, by the way, of about 50 miles. They've done that in about a day's time. They probably haven't walked it. They've probably ridden horses or gone by chariot or wagon. I mean, but this was no easy task for these men to get to Peter in a day's time. Keep in mind, when they got to Joppa, they didn't know where Peter was, right? They had to kind of ask around. They had to go to the gas station and be like, have you seen Peter, right? Like, do you know where he is? And they had to figure this out. So it's, you know, this has been a, an arduous task for them, and yet they finally show up. 
And here's what happens when they finally meet up with Peter. Verse 21. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why, why have you come? Why are you here? What's going on? I mean, as if Peter wasn't confused enough by the vision, now there are these men that are there in the game. What is going on, right? Verse 22, they said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night, and the next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. So after Peter and Cornelius' men finally make contact, they, they spend the night, it's been a long day for these guys traveling, and then where they spend the night where they were staying, and then they head back to Caesarea. The, uh, go back the 50 miles you came to see Cornelius. Verse 24, they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up. I am a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Now, Peter, Peter obviously has some sort of reputation in Caesarea. It's such a reputation that Cornelius, when Peter arrives, falls down and begins to worship Peter. But Peter knows better than anyone to not let someone worship him. I mean, he knows, look, I am just a man. I haven't even figured out what that vision was that God told me about a couple days ago. He isn't worthy of the worship of anyone. He knows, he knows there's only one worthy of worship, and it's Jesus. Verse 28. Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. You know, Peter is breaking all kinds of Jewish laws as he steps into Cornelius' home. It was one thing for a Jewish family to have Gentiles in their home. It was a whole other thing for a Jewish person to go into the home of a Gentile. It would have made them unclean, causing them to be excluded from worship in the temple and having to go through an arduous process, making amends for being unclean, and once again being determined clean. It could take weeks for that process to, uh, to happen. In fact, one of the reasons that Jews refused going into Gentile houses, one of the reasons why they believed it was so against God's law and would make them so unclean, and eating with them was just like, Un, like unheard of, one of the reasons they did it was that they believed that the houses of the Gentiles were polluted because the Gentiles forced women to have abortions and then put the dead fetuses down the drain or under the floorboards. Nobody's going in there if you're a Jewish man or woman. That's what Gentiles do. That's what happens in their homes. Now, now, lest we be um, too judgmental of the Jews, you've got to keep in mind that the Gentiles didn't really like the Jews all that much either. 
Cornelius is going against all sorts of social protocol among the Romans. Gentiles avoided, made fun of, were prejudiced against Jews because Jews are considered stuck up, unsociable, and lazy. They wouldn't eat pork. They were too good for pork, which, by the way, was the cheapest of the meat at the time. They only ate lamb and, you know, expensive meats. They wouldn't join in on the local festivities and social activities of the towns. They were always in their homes, blocked off, away from whatever was going on. And, and, they always took an entire day off from work every week. How lazy of them. I mean, Gentiles. I mean, Jews, like, whatever. Don't, don't hang out with them. They, they are stuck up, unsociable and lazy. Now listen, there's no substantial evidence for any of these assumptions, right? I mean, the Jews, I, I, I don't even know where they got this idea that, you know, the Gentiles were doing that. And the Gentiles, they, they just fully misunderstood who the Jews were trying to be. But, you know, you say things long enough, conjecture and rumor gets around long enough, and what do you do? You, you decide, well, that, that's who they are. I, I prejudge people before I even get to know them. I just have these prejudices against people. I mean, it's a good thing we don't do that, right? Yeah? Did you feel that? It's like, oh, oh, is that gas? No, that's your heart. You got to keep in mind, as this is going on, sorry. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's not every week I talk about gas in my sermon. So, oh, man. Sometimes. Uh, okay, so anyway, there is this constant tension that exists between the Jews and the Gentiles in the first century. They just don't understand each other very well, and they're comfortable to just let it be that way. They have their prejudices, and that's okay. But God... God is deciding to do a new thing, and Peter is finally starting to see and understand God's vision that he gave him in Joppa of the sheep filled with animals. He, as he enters Cornelius' home, he says these words, God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. God is messing with Peter. In other words, Peter is admitting that all of the prejudice he has against the Gentiles, well, because of this vision, that, that has to now be a thing of the past. It just can't be that way anymore. He's now setting aside all of the conjecture and rumors about people like Cornelius because God has changed the narrative. God has changed the story. He's saying, look, Gentiles were once seen as unclean, but now because of Jesus, they are no longer. In fact, Jew and Gentile, you're all in the same boat. Where once the Jew is considered to be more beloved by God, now Gentiles, God is saying, are considered in the same manner. Those who aren't Jewish, they're going to be a part of my family now too. Verse 29. This is Peter speaking again. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. 
Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now, we're all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. I have this image of Peter standing in the living room of Cornelius. And all these people are with them, friends and family, and they're just on the edge of their seats, eager to hear what Peter has to say. I mean, up until this point, Cornelius still doesn't really understand why Peter is in his house. All he knows is that God told him to go find this guy and bring him back to Caesarea. Peter and Cornelius are perfect strangers to one another. They're perfect strangers. In fact, Peter doesn't even really know why he's there. Right? I mean, he's just following what God is telling him to do. All he knows is that he received this vision and God has changed the landscape of faith, and now he's standing in the middle of this Gentile home where he would never stand before. And the invitation of the good news he's finding out isn't just for the Jews, it's for all people, including those who are once deemed unclean by Jewish standards. This is a critical shift in Peter's understanding of the mission and kingdom of God. I mentioned last week that there are a number of brilliant minds, theologians, scholars, who would say that Acts chapter 10 is the most important chapter in all of Acts. It's God's way of leveling the playing field for all people. The invitation into the family of God is now available to everyone just as they are. From this point on, Anyone and everyone have received the same invitation to come to Jesus. It does not matter who they are, no matter what city they're from, no matter their heritage or genealogy, no matter if they once worshipped Roman gods or only worshipped the one true God, no matter if they didn't worship a God at all, they were atheists, they were agnostic, they didn't know what they were doing, they were part of the nuns, which is just people who would say, I don't believe in anything, It doesn't matter who they are. They are not all invited in the same manner to the family of God. Now listen, we're going to get to what Peter has to say to Cornelius' friends later. But today, I just want to focus on the invitation that God is revealing to Peter and Cornelius in this moment. This, This is so important for us to understand what God is doing in and through Jesus and the church. You know, Peter, Peter is a Jew, if there ever was one. And he carries the baggage and the burden of following the Old Testament law. He looks down upon those who aren't Jewish. He's pompous. He's a little arrogant. He's hesitant on God's revelation in his life, even though he seems to start getting the picture. This is who Peter is. And Cornelius is a Roman among Romans. He wears Caesar's name across his chest plate and has likely participated in all kinds of pagan worship and ceremonies. And even though he's since converted to Judaism, Cornelius is bringing a robust Gentile past and lifestyle to this moment. 
Their worlds are colliding in Cornelius' home. God brings Peter and Cornelius together to make sure that they, and us, by the way, understand a powerful and profound truth about God's heart. And here's how I would say it. Everyone is invited as they are to become who they're not. Everyone is invited to the family of God just as they are to become who they are not yet. Peter and Cornelius are invited to this moment just as they are. Peter, arrogant, pompous, Jewish man, Cornelius, this very well-respected Gentile Roman officer are invited in this moment just as they are. There's no dress code, right? God is not asking them, clean things up and then come together. God does not ask them to make any changes or become something they never were at this moment. Peter is still an apostle of the church and a Jew by birth. Cornelius is still a Roman officer and a God-fearer in Caesarea. They're invited to this moment just as they are. But they're also being invited to be something they're not. In particular, Peter is being asked to be something that goes against everything he's known about God since he was a little boy. He is being asked to become something he has never been before, a Jewish man willing to eat and dine in the house of a Gentile. God's desire for Peter and Cornelius is that through this moment in time, they will be changed into the people God wants them to be. Someone that in that moment they have yet to become. And just like Peter and Cornelius, so the truth still remains for us. Genesis, listen to this. Everyone is invited as they are to become who they are not. Do you get that? You are invited into this place just as you are, collared shirt or not. But when we meet Jesus together, we are called to something, to change into something that we're not yet. You know, we, we say around here, we want to be a community of changed lives, changing lives, which in essence, in, you know, in this context means we want people to come just as they are to experience the changed life that allows them to become who they're not yet. I mean, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Whether you want him to or not, he does. And it is a good plan. Jeremiah says he knows the plans for us. They're good and prosperous. You will not be disappointed by the plan that God has for you. I mean, we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. If you don't have it all figured out and you don't have it all together, welcome. Neither do I. The doors of Genesis The doors have been swung wide open. But we also know that God doesn't want any of us to stay there. The invitation isn't to just come as you are and then just ignore what God is doing in your life. I mean, God is changing Peter and Cornelius in this moment. And Peter hasn't even told them why he's there yet. 
There is a revolutionary change in their lives in the way they view the world. They, they have noticed all of a sudden the prejudice in them that God is eradicating, that is flushing away so that they can be members of the kingdom of God, equals among God, to experience the change that Jesus Christ brings through his Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul talks about this idea extensively in his letters. Man, don't, don't doze off right now, okay? <laughs> Pay attention. Ephesians chapter 4. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sin for nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Come as you are. And when you see the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is, throw off that old self and receive the new nature you've been given to become who you are not yet. Colossians 3, 5 through 9. Man, we shall all memorize this this week. That's a good challenge, I think. Paul says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these things, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now it's a time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, gosh darn it, in this new life, put her up there. Get up there. Go. Come on. Maybe not. In this new life, <laughs> go to Colossians 3.11 for me, will you, Jesse? I want him to see this. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Look, everyone is invited just as you are. You know, sometimes I hear, you know, I'll talk to people and they'll say things that I'm like, where did you get that idea? Gosh, it was probably from us, the Church Universal, but they'll be like, yeah, man, I, <laughs> God would strike me down if I went to church. I'm like, what? Read Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. That, that is not the message that God is communicating to Peter and Cornelius in that moment. He's not trying to strike people down. He's trying to bring people together in the kingdom of God so that they can become who they're not yet. So they can become the people that God would want them to be. Verse 10, to put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Gosh, you're invited just as you are. And you could bring all the baggage you have to to this room and to this place before God. And he is going to wrap his arms around you in love, as we just sang about, and then bring you into a new life to be lived, to become who you're not yet. 
You are invited. In love, God invites you. Broken, sinful, grief-stricken, anxious, addicted, needy, you. You are invited to experience the rest and the healing and the freedom and the grace of God through Jesus. You're invited to place your faith in Jesus, the one who died for your sin and rose again to invite you into this new life. You are invited as you are, scars and scabs and all, to become who you are not. Colossians 3.11 In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uh, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. That is an invitation to you. God is not here to strike you down. God is here to embrace you, to bring you close to him. You have a creator who loves you, so much so that he sent his only son to come and live the life we could never live and then hang on a cross to give us what we needed, forgiveness of our sins, and then raise again from the dead three days later so that we could become who we are not yet. Everyone is invited as they are to become who they're not. And like Peter, I'm standing here and I'm looking at all the faces in this room And I'm remembering that statement. You are invited into a new life, a life of letting go of the past, the shame and the sin and the suffering and the addiction. He is inviting you to let go of your prejudices against about him and other people. You are loved and welcomed just as you are today. And you are invited to become a new creation in Jesus, to let go of who you've been in order to become who God wants you to be. This is the good news. That that broken, needy people are able to come to a holy, gracious, and loving God and find new life. He's not here to strike us down. He's here to embrace us to express his love to us. And all he he does is he invites us to come and to be a part of what he's doing. And so my question to you this morning is, will you receive that invitation? Will you give your life over to Jesus, allowing him to shape and change you into who you are not yet? Will you surrender your prejudices and your preconceived ideas about God and others, will you allow Jesus to robe you in a new life with new hope, new peace, and new joy? The invitation is there to just come as you are, that you might become who you are not. This morning, I want us to participate in a really practical, tangible way that we can receive and lean into that invitation. And that is through the taking of communion. Communion is a special moment in the life of the church when we all, regardless of who we are, whatever we've walked in here with, we all center around one thing, Jesus Christ, 
What does Paul say at the end of Colossians chapter 3, verse 11? Christ is all that matters. And so this morning, I invite you to receive the invitation to come as you are, that you might be changed into the person you haven't become yet, that God has for you. As you take the bread to be reminded of Jesus' words that he spoke to his disciples and saying, this is my body which is broken for you. When you come together, take this and eat it. Remember me. Remember who you are. And as you taste the juice to remember that Jesus said, this is my blood which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. It is for you. And when you come and drink this, remember me and remember who you are. Invited to the table just as you are to become who you're not. There are three stations around the room, two on either side of me and one in the back. There are also baskets on that table, and those are uh, just a simple benevolence offering basket that you can contribute to if you feel led. Um, you can, all of that money goes to help people in our community who are in need, food, shelter, clothing. Uh, we, we try to provide for those in our community and outside of our community. So if you feel led, you can, you can put some money in that. Otherwise, I just invite you to come. Come to the table just as you are to receive God's grace, God's healing, God's freedom, God's love to change you into who you are not yet.